Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battles for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in. Pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services out of Clements, Maryland. HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Today's guest has had a long career, a NASCAR career that includes roles as a driver, mechanic, team owner, and more in the Cup Series, 26 races over seven years. Xfinity, 128 races over 17 years. In the Truck Series, 20 races over nine years. He is seen as a working man's driver who never had the family corporate money that many of today's stars in racing have behind them. Speaking of money, Mike. In May of 2009, he was fined $200,000 after his engine was discovered to be 0.17 cubic inches over the regulation size during practice for the sprint showdown at the time, the largest ever fine levied by NASCAR. Since 2014, he's owned MBM Motorsports. The team competes full-time in the NASCAR Xfinity Series and part-time in the Cup Series. I happen to know he's personal friends and a one-time driver of John Boy at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Ladies and gentlemen, Carl Long. Say hi to Mike Wallace. (laughs) What's going on, buddy? (laughs) What a hell of an intro right there. I mean, when you just... Uh, I was going along with everything. Then you threw the final deal of a driver John for Boy. John Boy. There you go. <laughs> well, you, you got your infamous, Carl. You got it all going on. But, uh, hey, let, let's hit on just for a second. Normally, we would start this show back in the day. But because there's been a lot of fines as of recent or this year in NASCAR racing, let's step back because you, you held the record and probably still hold it as the single – 
largest fine for an individual, maybe not as a team, but uh, tell us what happened back in that day in that era. And Well, it was uh, kind of a simple deal is uh, Chip Ganassi racing was swapping from Dodges to Chevrolets. Uh, they had a lot of inventory there for sale. And uh, we bought an engine that uh, was prepared there. Um, but, uh, you know, me, I didn't open it up. I didn't do anything with it. I went to Daytona and tried to run it and, uh, it didn't run so good there. We missed a race and we came back and had one of the guys that no longer was employed over there, changed the camshaft in it for us, but never pulled it apart and, uh, had it at the open at Charlotte. And, uh, it, we had a cool down unit that shorted out and uh, caused the air pocket and it blew up uh, during practice. So the, the rule is you give it to NASCAR, they open it up, see what the problem is, and let you put another engine in. I did not have any clue that that engine was 0.172B. I thought, I trusted that it was legal. And uh, the rest is kind of history. Well, so through all that, that happened because the engine actually blew up? You, you put it on a cool-down yeah. machine, it blew up, and then they took it apart and found it? It wasn't like after yes. the race or anything like that? No, it was during practice. We, uh, I went down the back straightaway, and it didn't read any uh, water temp because there was no water in it. It was a huge air pocket, and so it just melted between the cylinder heads, and just, you know, so the engine quit, and the top of it was really big because it got so hot. But if you read the numbers on the crankshaft and read the numbers on the pistons, the math come up wrong then. So that was just a oversight by the whole group. Oh, wow. You know, which is kind of a shame because if, if, if you're going to have an engine that's larger than regulation, you at least want the damn thing to win or, you know, go faster than everybody else's, right? Yeah. <laughs> Make it worth yeah. the 200 grand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So absolutely, if you're gonna go bad, if you're gonna be bad, go big. You know, yeah, that's right. you, you get to you get the same penalty if you rob a bank for a hundred thousand bucks or a million dollars. So just go big. Get so, that mill while you're yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. Well, heck, I'm sorry to hear that, but uh, it was it was uh, kind of spectacular back in the day. I don't remember it totally, but I remember everybody talking about it. And uh, why do you think they give you such a big fine? They knew you couldn't afford that. Why did they do that? Just well, to make an example the, of the, you? Yeah, I think the leadership the leadership group then needed to change the focus off of the Jeremy Mayfield stuff that was going on at that time. And uh, and here's a good story to, to do it. And then I heard later on that one of the guys that sponsored me, uh, they also had a airplane that was flying over the racetrack that said, Free Jeremy. Oh. And the, one of my guys that sponsored was one of the guys that was, uh, he had a hard card under my team and, uh, they found out that he was paying the airport people over there to fly that sign over. So all of a sudden I come up as having a problem, you know, and my motor's wrong and my sponsors over there doing stuff. So I think it was just a series of events that just kicked me square in the nuts. <laughs> he might have been involved with the DOJ today, right? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of that going around. Yeah, that's yeah. what they say. Yeah. So, uh, hey, I'm going to get off of that uh, bad, funny, semi-humorous. Now that I know the why you probably really got the penalty, it's kind of a little funny, to be honest with you. But two hundred. <laughs> there's nothing so, funny so, about 200 grand no, unless so, it lands in your pocket. So you, know you got to yeah. you, you can answer this in a couple different ways that we're going to move on. You can take the fifth and not respond, or you can tell us the truth. Well, I guess that's the only two ways to answer it. Did you have to pay the two hundred yeah. grand? The fine is still there, but I did not have to pay it. Beautiful. Okay. There you go. All right. So they, no harm, no foul. They, you know they. But they, they, but they wouldn't let you. in limbo. Yeah, they wouldn't let you race or be in the cup garage though for years, right? I mean, they. Correct. Yeah, he it, was working it, on. Uh, we were working together on a car running the uh, Daytona 500, Carl was, and mm -hmm. they come and got him and told me he couldn't be there. Am I telling that story right? Like, Yeah, they yeah. Ran, they escorted me out of the garage. Wow. Yeah. All right, let's get off of that. That's that. Let's go back as far as you can remember because you're a, you know, especially in this area, you're a legend. You're a, you're a really good race car driver. You're really fast. You're comedic as hell, funny all the time. So uh, – <laughs> 
Take us back in time. Where did Carl Long first come up with the passion, desire, interest in motorsports at all? Well, I would say it was back in the 70s. You used to have these rugs that were like ovals, and they'd be like a dark brown and a light brown. Well, me and the Hot Wheels to figure that was a good place to be a racetrack. So as you was on your knees with your Hot Wheels, that was the thing to do. And my dad, he, he raced in the Baby Grand Series, which uh, used to be the Saturday show. And he started racing it in 74 and 5 with a Volkswagen Beetle, and he's a Volkswagen mechanic. So I got to go to a lot of the racetracks and uh, meet Bobby Allison and Richard Petty and all them guys when I was six and seven years old and just grew up loving racing. And so as you love racing, you're playing with your Hot Wheels. Heck, I used to watch my little brother Kenny play Hot Wheels every morning on the on the table before we go to school, he'd crash them. And as he'd say, the milk got, they got in the milk off a of turn four milk. and slide them out of the corner and all that stuff. But, uh, so it's got to get a little bit more serious after the hot wheels though. What's the, uh, after you you run the hot wheels, you got to loop to loop in the hot wheels track. Well, what's the first car you actually got into and how did you get into that car? Well, as my dad being a Volkswagen mechanic and running the Volkswagens in the, dash series in 1975 they outlawed the volkswagen beetle from running in the dash series because it was air cooled and the exhaust pipe would stick right in the guy's radiator so when they went to charlotte and places like that couldn't nobody really follow him without overheating and uh <laughs> so they done away with it and my uh my that, two that's uncles, what happened dad, to herbie the love bug that's why he, yeah <laughs> herbie the love bug. remember the one yeah, was on a disney absolutely. movie yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. That's, just, okay. that's a tangent. So my, so my dad, he, he started running at what's now Orange County Speedway. It was called Trico. He would take his car out there, but he bought a, a Mercury Capri that uh, Ricky Pearson drove. And uh, he bought it and continued trying to run in the Dash Series some. And there was two Volkswagens or three Volkswagens sitting under the shelter out at the farm. Trico shut down, and we used to go out there. Uh, the back gate was down and uh, and play racing on Saturdays and Sundays when the track was shut down. And then in 1983, they opened the racetrack back up. Mason Day bought it out of South Boston. And we had uh, four cars that we started a mini stock class with. And, uh, and about six or seven more joined in with us. So uh, just you guys help, help help relaunch the racetrack and a series at that time then is what you're saying. Yeah, we did, and the the very first car I drove was the older, heavier Volkswagen that my dad had last raced, and the newer, lightweight cars, my two uncles was running them, Everett and Lonnie Long. Both of them had those, and dad was in the American Capri, and uh, the first year I ran, I think we ran seven or eight races, and I was uh, I was 15 years old when we started, but my limited driver's permit was just like a driver's license. And my dad co-signed for it, and it went right on through. So I drove for two years at 16 years old. Well, you know, to, <laughs> today, Carl, we, we talk about it on this show. If you don't have your career set and established and won a championship in the NASCAR uh-huh. world by 16, now you got to quit. <laughs> you <laughs> got to gotta have that done stuff done by starting. Hell, 12. I got them in go-karts when they're five, six years old, and it's on the Legends cars. And when they're 10 years old, they're driving a late-model stock, for goodness sake. We, we get to joking on yeah. here at times because it's um, – you know, you, you literally got to be started by your 10 or 11 years old and have a career in place by 16 and uh, go from there and have, have a big old pile of money supporting. Did you have a big pile of money behind you supporting your racing? Yeah, right. No, we had a farm with Volkswagens on it, and that's why I had to go dig the parts up out of it and get them out and chase it. You know, if the snake didn't chase me out from under the car when I was pulling a control arm out from under it, you know, because I would give the race, I would give the street car and anything to the snake, no matter if he was black, green, it didn't make no difference. He had the car. He had the car. uh, Yeah, I don't like snakes either. Yeah. I uh, I won the battle with the snake yesterday. Did you? Yeah, I didn't know that I did. I was cutting grass. Right over the top of him. <laughs> Went over the top, and he was a big, big black snake. And oh, everybody, okay. and then I got. Well, those are good snakes. No, you sound like my wife now. <laughs> she says, she says, oh, black snakes are good snakes. I says, look, I was on a big lawnmower. It was open, and this thing looked like it's four or five feet long, and it tried to attack me. And then my blades 
stood up for me. <laughs> and he doesn't he didn't attack yeah. anymore. My daughter sends a note and he goes, she goes, he doesn't pay rent. He doesn't need to deserve to be there. <laughs> Seth Black Sakes will run the copperheads off. Well, yeah. The last time I drove past Mike's house, you could have a par five in his front yard out there. So I don't know where he trip. found him. I at. know it, man. Yeah. You can't hide money. <laughs> That's why we're talking to Carl Long. <laughs> so as you were racing those cars and you're going to the junkyard, you know, I used to go to the junkyard for my dad's race cars. That's where we got our drive shafts at. They'd have a stack of drive shafts at the junkyard, and I'd go tape them end to end. You know, we had a measurement, and so... I'd go through 30 drive shafts. You didn't realize how many different sizes there was back in the day, but uh, that's how we did it too. So after you uh, got that Volkswagen, got all the parts and pieces, and you ran good there at Orange County, what, what was the next step? Well, we moved along, and then we made some connections in there. Like the first, the first car that I drove in 1983 and 1984, a guy named Ward Burton drove it for us. Ward, uh, Ward Burton? Ward Burton. That's the one. Yeah. Only man alive that can say caterpillar without moving his lips. <laughs> so, <That's right. laughs> but, uh, that but, even uh, got Rich but, laughing on the other side of the window here. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> front steer <laughs> skid loader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Wasn't that the commercial so, he did? Yeah. He had all the takeouts, front skid skid loader. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm so sorry. they had, uh, so is. As I spent six years in the in a mini stock series and won the championship, won some races, and wanted to move up, uh, I got out of high school. I took a job. Uh, I went to college at Wake Technical College. Uh, I thought I was going to go in there in computer engineering, but that was too much boring for me. I was falling asleep in class, so I moved over to uh, machine shop and computer uh, controlled machines. All that was new, so I took that and my engine builder. Uh, was my wife's uh, or girlfriend's uncle at that time, my first wife. And uh, he also was Jack Tant's son-in-law. And Jack Tant uh, was known for building Ray Hendricks engines. and He's real big. famous, isn't he? Jack Tant? Yeah. 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 And uh, so they made us a deal. Uh, I was delivering pizzas while I was going to school. By the time I would leave Raleigh and drive back to Roxborough, which was an hour away, they won't but 15 people in Roxburgh buying pizzas after 6 p.m. So I had to stop in Durham and deliver pizzas so that I could make enough money. <laughs> and uh, So, hey, is, and it, as I, is it right? Talking about delivering pizzas, and maybe I'm getting ahead of the story, did, did I read something or like the Guinness Book of World Records or something like that? You delivered the most pizzas to Roxborough, North Carolina, or out of the Domino's store when you're running a place or something? Well, it actually was the I won manager of the year later on at at the Roxburgh store when I took it over. But um, Super Bowl Sunday is the biggest day for pizza sales for Domino's back then, and uh, and so I worked at our Northern Durham store, which is on Roxborough Road, and uh, I think I wound up setting a store record. It was like uh, two hundred and some pizzas, about a thousand or twelve hundred dollars worth, and. I used a little Volkswagen Rabbit diesel to drive and deliver pizzas with, so they get 40 miles to the gallon. So it, it worked out pretty good for me back then. <laughs> anybody who's anybody worked in the pizza business, Mike. I worked in the pizza business when I was going to school. Yep. I always used to say there's a lot of dough in pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what was that one great movie that you, you used to order? There was uh, the guy would it was on it was a movie, and he, uh, they'd call the women would call and order a pizza with some special ingredients. And uh, I have no idea, but we're going to take a timeout right here. We'll order a pizza. And when we come back, we're talking to Carl Long. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR <laughs> with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. We're talking racing with Carl Long. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, we're talking pizza, actually. Well, we were talking uh, I pizza. I mean, that's... Uh, We've covered a little bit of everything in that in that first segment. Yeah, we're, we're going to use it to go on. But uh, So getting back to it, and, and I was listening, and I was confused because I was thinking about some. How many pizzas did you deliver, deliver <laughs> as a record? I believe it was about 200, something wow. like that in one night. That's pretty right. good. 
I have something to go along with that, but I'm going to keep that between us at the bar one night, as I say. <laughs> so, all right. So as we're, you know, this is a tell everybody where you came from. So after that part of your career, the pizza delivery and that, uh, where where do you go race wise? Well, what that promoted is my home store, which I wasn't working at anymore. They needed a manager. Well, I told them I was going racing. And uh, so they made me an offer to sponsor my race car. The the guy that was a franchise owner, Dan Shefty, uh, agreed to sponsor my race car for me to run Orange County if I would manage the store, which means that the South Boston races, I wouldn't run because they alternated weekends. And so I would give one weekend and uh, to racing and one weekend to the store and uh, wound up uh, getting him to write a check for us and uh, bought me a street stock car. I, I thought I was going to go late model racing, but didn't nobody want my money and my engines. I had a jack tan engine and uh, I think it was ten or $15,000 for the year. And uh, they said I needed more. Wow. So I wound up. That was pretty yeah, good money so back I then, up, I thought. It was. That was uh, 88. Uh, so I thought I'd just go buy a car and my grandfather helped sign for me on a loan and picked up a, a street stock car and bought it. I was, like I said, managing the pizza store, living at home. So I didn't have much problems paying the loan off. And, uh, we went racing the first year. I sat on a pole a couple of times, but it never, uh, never could finish it. And then over the winter, uh, Doug Triplett, who still works at Joey Arrington's and he was my, uh, first wife's uncle. He helped us redo the rear clip and the front clip and put a new body on the car and uh, got ready to start the second season off. And Domino's come to me and uh, said that they were no longer able to sponsor us because of fast driving and racing. They was cutting their IndyCar program. Ari Leyendike had just won to 500 with a Domino's pizza car. And, uh, and that's all they could do. But they had committed some money. And so we started off that year. And I think I won four races. I won the championship, and then you have to show up for the last two races. Never finished worse than third or fourth, and uh, won the street stock championship. Well, you had it and, go, uh, going on at that time, didn't you? Yeah, Doug fixed the car for me, and then I'm learning. You know, I never drove a car with the motor uh, in front of me, so I had to figure that out. <laughs> was I know, I've me. never thought about that. Have you? Right? <laughs> I mean, to hear about that in drag racing, but not, no, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He drove a yeah. Volkswagen. That's yeah, right. Volkswagen. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The motor's yeah. in the back. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Mike, Mike will know from racing and stuff. It, that was a whole lot of rear percentage of, of, uh, weight. I didn't know that that was something back then. We just kind of adjusted on them and went and ran. So, uh, it, it's funny they you say that loose. about the Volkswagen. Back when I first raced, and I uh, I was racing a street stock class, a guy the year before would kick everybody's butt driving a Karma Gia. Oh, yeah. Right? Carmen. Yep. Carmen. Carmen Gia. In fact, when I was in high school, a buddy of mine's dad rebuilt those things. They were Those were some cool cars. Yeah. Okay. So was yeah. a Carmen Gia a Carmen Volkswagen? Gia. Or was yes. It? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I, I, yes, we had we raced one of those two. <laughs> okay, you had those cool car, yeah. So uh, yeah, as you proceeded on, and and uh, Domino's come to you and said, "Look, we're not going to sponsor you anymore." Did you quit the the pizza job, or did you say keep the you had to keep the uh, manager job for a while? Oh no, I quit that pizza job. I was going racing. Okay. <laughs> I was not going to stick for manager year the whole deal. I wound up uh, managing a lawn and garden warehouse in my hometown. And, uh, and at that point I got in, um, okay. So what, contact. what age are you at this time? Uh, how old were you? I when think you're... I just 20, 21 now. 21. Just, okay. Uh, and now I'm married. Uh, and you, you, you kept, uh, early in the show, you said you're first, is this the first time you're married or were you been, been married more than once? Yeah, I had to have a starter wife. I'm on my permanent wife now. I okay. hope. <laughs> you hope anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't say anything incriminating. She yeah. might be listening. Well, well he married well, up. Know, Let but, me tell you that. He he did good for himself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, they, they asked me about the difference and stuff. And when, when I become racing full-time, it was a little more than the first wife wanted. But the second wife, you know, I told him it was a newer model. 
had a lot more gears, rode a lot better. I won't show about the mileage, but you know, <laughs> he just had to go with it. <laughs> just the way you said that, haven't heard the mileage. So, are any of you guys? Do any of you listen to TikTok? Rich, you, Jeff, nah. Carl, my you, daughter does. I don't. So my daughter's all there's about this it. one skit on TikTok that somebody does all the time. He sounds like an auctioneer selling a piece of cattle or a cattle, and, and it's his wife he's talking about. And he's got a film, and she finally realizes what he's doing. And she starts looking. Well, we got a nice new heifer there. It's got a little rough weir. Heifer. Got, 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 got a little wear and tear on the rear end. Front's a little saggy. <laughs> and you got to listen. Just, just the way you said more gears and better writing. It was fun. I'm writing that down. I'll Google that later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. I've got totally confused or lost where I was at. So we somehow we got on different wives. And so... <laughs> We got done with dominoes. We we're now with a lawn and garden company. Okay, lawn and garden company. There you go. Go go to that. Yeah, so I'm I'm, I'm the up. warehouse manager. <laughs> I'm the I'm the warehouse manager, and one of the construction company customers that we have um, is interested in racing. And uh, this guy's name is Jim Robbins, and he runs a company called Romeo Guest Construction in Durham, and. Uh, so he joined in with me and helped sponsor the car and and then really took me under his wing like a little brother and helped me incorporate my company. We started it as a corporation, and he basically uh, got with his subcontractors and had all of those guys participate a little bit. Uh, Loy Allen Sr. from Precision Walls in Raleigh, he was uh, one of my sponsors. I ran Junior into, had just run into Loy two weeks ago. Ran into him eating dinner say, over at R and R. I recognize that name. Yeah, what, the barbecue Se- senior or junior? Senior. He okay. Said, he said, "See, I said ran into senior, and he's." I asked what junior was doing, and uh, he's flying airplanes for the company now. Oh, Loyal wow. and junior. Yeah, used, used to cool. race against us all. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I said I was going to shut up, but I can't. I got to inner chime. <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's, it's it's neat to hear people how they, uh, you know, everybody knows somebody. Somehow. In racing, so, yeah, it's especially it's, that way. Yeah, you know it's what I mean? connected. Yeah. It's kind of like you know everybody, Jeff, in the whole world, but right. I, I know a limited amount. And then look it's at it's like here. the racing business is like a set of Legos. You know what I mean? Not I really. you like that analogy. Tell me. Okay, so you've got one Lego, and then all of a sudden this Lego joins the end of this Lego, and you've got, and then all of a sudden you're building. Oh, you know you're, I mean? build, you're building because your empire. you meet people as you go along. Oh. I got you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that difficult. Yeah. Really. There's some of them in there. To, <laughs> my, my Lego flat has somebody coming out with a torch and burn some yeah. of them through. They don't connect no more. <laughs> so, <laughs> that happens. Yeah. That happens too, yeah. <laughs> so but, the, uh, the gentleman from Romeo Guest, they go go ahead. He, he got some vendors or some subcontractors involved. And... Yeah, and then uh, the... The lawn and garden agency I was with, they was uh, struggling a little bit. And uh, so I took a job with uh, a friend of mine that I raced against named Tony Gurley. Now, Tony ran in his pure stock class, and he bought my street stock car to move up. And I helped him set his cars up. And I took a job for him because he's a pharmacist in Raleigh and got a place in Durham. So now I'm a salesman for home medical equipment <laughs> and stuff. A pharmaceutical well salesman, car. I see. Yep. It, it also Carl happened Patty that was my... that for a while. Well, <laughs> 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 it, it helps that my sister-in-law ran a home health agency, so I had immediately uh, had instant customers for him. There you so, go. So we, we started that, and um, and then as I was moving along and we uh one of the upgrades that jim robbins had done was to a company called austin crackers in Cary, north carolina he had upgraded their building and made it larger and that was a, a huge company back then and jim and i had uh decided to go all pro racing and get an offset car instead of bush because we really couldn't go bush but we thought all pro would be a easy one for us to slide into and uh approached Austin Crackers. We had a, a indoor uh, track, I guess you could get in it through the construction side, and, and they signed up with us, and in 1997, I ran for All-Pro Rookie of the Year. 
uh, I won the race at Bristol, which I was the only rookie to win that, but I raced against David Ruderman um, for the rookie title and uh, another guy named Sean Studer, who's a shot guy over at Childress now. Okay. Uh, and uh, and as we ran through and you bring, and that was my first time to bring a corporate sponsor involved into a race team and seeing how everybody else that didn't have one just threw you under the bus and told them what a better job they would do than you would and just constantly um, bombarding my sponsor because we we had a car that Rick Townsend built and most of the cars uh, for super late models and that kind were offset truck arm cars or uh, three link cars and we built a truck arm car and uh, it ran really good on the big tracks and not so good on the short tracks and we made a, a rash decision and we sold our Port City car before we really started that season. And then when I went to the small tracks, we weren't too good. So the race, the races, I wasn't too good. Um, the sponsors got beat up on what a better job somebody else could do. And then the races that we did win and do stuff, you didn't hear nothing out of them. Well, that's amazing, but, isn't it? Because that's how uh, yeah. racing had been, basically has been my whole career. You, you, you bring somebody into the sport, you know, do the best you can. And all of a sudden a big team, the big teams were horrible, but they, they'd go, what do they call that, perch on your sponsor. They didn't think they could just – they, but they would just tell them go how much better – steal your stuff. Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> – they, they wouldn't try to sell. they just condemn you along the way and try to convince people to come with them. So, Yeah, yeah. and so you're always doing damage control. Instead of focusing on the positive, you're just trying not to get burnt up by the negatives. Yeah, yeah. And, so, uh, so that Austin Crackers, how, how long did they stick with you? They stayed with me for one year. And the the uh, Mike Cope, who had won the championship, uh, the person that was in charge of marketing at Austin Crackers used to be in charge of the marketing at Slim Jim. And Austin Crackers was his job. Okay. And so we, we made it one year. And then Mike was able to get that sponsorship. And he moved up to... I think the trucks and got his crew chief. I didn't even forget his name, David something got the sponsorship moved over to his crew chief and they never ran like we did, but it put me out of business for that deal. And that's when I went to work for the Dixon. So, you know, <laughs> that's a, that's a cool part. I think of, of your career that I knew of you. So Jeff, you know how to today it, it's a, it's a big deal to like Michael Jordan being involved in the sport. We Absolutely. got d diversity in a NASCAR racing. Right. I mean, that's a big deal. Well, and it gets everybody interested outside of NASCAR. Wow, Michael Jordan's, oh, that's got to be cool if he's involved, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so Carl, and you pick it up, Carl, because I only know bits and pieces. Carl had the one of the very first diversity car owners in NASCAR racing. Go ahead from there. Well, we had known about Mr. Dixon's when I raced at Orange County and a late model. And I would go back and run a few late model shows here and there. It was big ones and, you know, and try to win and do stuff like that as I'd moved on. Well, Mr. Dixon came out there and his story is, is it's, it's a movie. If you made it, if somebody wrote it right, it's a, it's a movie, a hilarious one at that. But uh, when he decided to go buy a late model stock car and go racing, he went to Martinsville Speedway when we had all qualified and and I think Curtis Markham was up there on a the pole and uh, a few guys that we know to the front. But he went with a stack of cash and started at the guy on a pole. And he got down to the fifth place car and he bought the car and pulled it off the line. Wouldn't let him touch it. Loaded it in his truck. <laughs> no kidding. <That's laughs> he said, cool. you know, and and if you ever watch the movie Barbershop with a uh, actor called Cedric the Entertainer. Oh yeah. He would play he would play a perfect Mr. Dixon as long as he had kind of a Jerry curl that was gray. <laughs> it would work just fine. But Mr. Dixon, he taught me a lot about uh Hold that thought. Not yeah. Hold, Hold that thought, Carl. We'll, we'll, take a come back. we'll come back. We're talking to Carl Long. Right. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by Race Pass. My Race Pass, actually, not your Race Pass. And NASCAR Digital Media.
Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. We're talking to Carl Long, the racing journey that is Carl Long. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. So, Carl, we're talking about Thede Dixon, and you, um, as we mentioned, he was one of the very first diversity car owners in the sport. Found you a race car with a pile of cash, started to try to get the best car he could, and uh, you said he taught you a lot. Give us a, a few hints of what he did or your career with him as you as you progressed on. Well, as I, I had known him, like I said, from the, the Martinsville stories, and, and some other people drove for him, Gary Lloyd, uh, so forth, and late model wasn't content enough for him. And I think he himself wanted to drive, and he wrecked in the sportsman class at Charlotte and decided that was enough of his driving, you know, um, and I think the sportsman class was usually pretty good for one person, a race getting killed or hurt real bad. And, and that's why it didn't pan out, but he quit that and he went cup racing with Mike Skinner and, uh, and got Mike in there before they started the craftsman truck series. And, uh, so I knew about him cause he was in Durham, which was 30 minutes from home and my family worked there. But when my, when my stint was over with, with driving, for the all pro team and not having a sponsor and no money to race. I just went over and asked him. He had, uh, I think he had about five craftsman trucks sitting there and four or five, uh, Ford Thunderbirds and nobody working on them, nobody doing anything with them. So I asked him, could I come over there and put them together and go race? And, and he was acceptive of that. And he found out that his father who ran a, pulpwood truck my grandfather used to do all the maintenance on it and keep it up for him so his his father and stuff was from my same hometown he actually grew up in the same hometown that i did of roxborough and uh he later moved on to new york and got some contracts and come back to work and then got into racing after he started making a lot of money and and he was probably one of the wealthiest diversity owned companies in the state of North Carolina. Uh, he had paint contracts for Duke university, IBM, um, RDU airport. And, uh, so he had a, he got 160 people on the lot every morning. He would send out on paint jobs and, uh, love racing. He, had a place. Mm-hmm, not yeah. bad. he, um, and in the simple story, and, and, and I have to tell about it because a lot of people don't know about it. See, was in Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, with his wife, and they had a house, and he was renting rooms out in it, and he needed to get it painted. And he found out that it was so much that these paint contractors told him it was going to cost. He did it himself and seen how much money that they made and decided that's the business he needed to be in. Well, he said after he painted about four houses and four different housewives wanted their kitchen painted three or four different times after they didn't like the color, he figured he was going to strangle one of them, and he needed to move the hell on to something else. And... uh <laughs> <laughs> so he went to IBM in Poughkeepsie, the biggest employer there, and asked them to give him a job. Well, the thing about asking is he went in there on a Monday morning, and the person he needed to talk to let him sit in the office all day, and he never spoke to him. The second day, he came back, sat in the office all day. On Wednesday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, or either it was a Thursday, he either sat there for three or four days. And the guy that was in charge of that finally said, bring this guy in here. Let me see who the hell and what he wants. And he said, just let me paint a building. Any one of your old sheds, let me do something. Let me show you what we can do. He said, anybody that was sitting there for four days, I'll give you a shot. And so they had a a warehouse or something other over there that needed to be fixed up. And um, and he asked him, he said, well, when are they leaving at 5 o'clock on Friday? Everybody's gone, right? He said, yep, you got security. Yep. They worked from Friday night, from the time security or everybody was off, the Monday morning, they never stopped, and they did the whole building over the weekend that would have taken his normal guys over a month. And uh, and that's how he got his paint contracting company started. Unreal. He he didn't wouldn't take no for an answer, would yeah, he? Right? Sat there for a couple days. No. And, cool. I mean, you got to talk to that yeah. guy. He's been sitting out there yeah. in the lobby. Yeah. So that, that's, a, yeah. that's a great story how he got his business started. So after you uh, – you know, you progressed on with Thee for a while. Then, then what did you end up doing? Where did you go from there? Because uh, I think that's the time I got to start to know you a little bit, or because yeah, you, you were we, uh, you were funnier than hell, man. You were always <laughs> funny. 
If you ever wanted well, to listen to a good joke, Carl could deliver it better than anybody. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Still can. Well, we, <laughs> we, we had some stuff, and like I said, I, we always, Mr. Dixon's voice was so distinct and all that stuff that I picked up how to imitate him. And if you're around a guy from England, sometimes you pick up the English accent. Well, I was around Mr. Dixon constantly, and some of the stuff that he did was so, I, I don't know, not real. It well, was just absolutely, you couldn't believe that he said it. Get, it give like, us a little. Can you still remember how to do it? I, I can. Okay. Here, here's what I have to give you on the story. So I was at Charlotte at the ARCA race, and and Mr. Dixon's knees was wore out, so all he did was ride around in his van and blow the horn and make you come run to him. He wouldn't get out of it unless he really had to. <laughs> so I called him back after practice, and he wanted to know how we were doing. It was the second time I was at Speedway. He said, uh, well, how did you practice? And uh, I told him I was first. So here, here goes my voice with him. Uh, uh, sir, uh, how, did, how did you run today? I said, I'm first, Mr. Dixon. First. Okay. Uh, uh, cut the bullshit. I, where you at? <laughs> I said, I'm top on the board. You're top on the board. Uh oh, what the hell? Didn't know that somebody else show up? <laughs> like, no, no. How many, uh, 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 how many damn cars is there? I said, it's about 65 here, I think. A and you first. I said, yes, sir. Well, bless your damn heart. <laughs> I said, Mr. Dixon, because he would never buy us any per diem, any whatever. He tell you he feeds you during the week. Is up to you, whatever that money he gives you on Friday to go feed yourself with. So I asked him, I said, if I go out here and qualify this thing on a pole, you're going to buy all us a steak dinner? You put that son bitch on a pole, I'll buy you a steak dinner. I'm like, okay. <laughs> So I'm I'm gonna get me this steak dinner. My car is fast. Shauna Robinson's right behind me in second, and Mario Goslin, Bill Baird, Frank Kimmel. Well, Frank Kimmel and Bill Baird stepped it up, and I qualified third. So as you come around the corner over there, because you don't walk, one of his Mexican guys over there, Rosalio, he runs around the corner and says, "Hey, Carl, Mr. Dixon said for you to have this." It was a loaf of bread and a half a pack of bologna. He said, uh, your belly would not know the difference between that and the steak, and you didn't get on the pole. <laughs> I was like, well, damn. Man, you got, and, guys uh, in, you got the guys in another room laughing, Carl. <laughs> well, as as time progressed, you know, Randy McDonald was driving for him some, and, uh, and I become his, his main driver. The first time I went with him, I went with him and uh, Ken Bouchard to Bristol. They wouldn't approve me to run Bristol, so they let Ken Bouchard drive the car, even though I had won Bristol two years earlier in All-Pro, but they still wouldn't let me do it in Cup. So, it's, it, and Mike, you'll attribute to this. A lot of people listen to this. You just don't go show up. There's a step and a progression that NASCAR has to make sure that when you come out on a track, they hope that you're not a weapon. And I get so many people calling just thinking that they can just go run a race if it come up with the money but it's it's a progression stage and and i'm glad of it now back then i won't because i thought i was ready but <laughs> um but anyway um we we moved on and he built me a uh we bought a cup car from travis carter um and um and i went to charlotte and we went uh bought some other cars at the ralph's auction out of liberty they was getting rid of some stuff and uh so we went to Charlotte, and I had Doug Triplett build me an engine, a qualifying motor. Back then, you had qualifiers and race motors. And I qualified for the Coca-Cola 600 and made the race. And uh, Mr. Dixon knew that we didn't have any money to race on. I knew that I didn't have a motor. I had an ARCA motor in there with a roller cam motor, which wasn't legal. So I really didn't have a motor to race other than a qualifying motor or put the other one in and take a chance. And uh, Travis come along and said, Daryl Waltrip has not made this race. I really need him in your car. Well, I said, well, okay. I need some adoption papers. <laughs> I, I, I want to move on. Daryl's got two girls and they ain't driving. <laughs> <laughs> now, so, then, now, Jeff, I can let me. This was a big story when this this week or weekend when he's talking about. Man, it was like a big deal. Daryl Waltrip had missed the race, right? And I go ahead, Carl. But this is going to be big. Well, wasn't that the year he was supposed well, to retire or something like that, or? No. It was. It was his last year. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's why it was even more. It, it was his farewell year. Right. And it'd be his last Coke 600. And um, so they came after me. So I had uh, 
Joe Carver, do you remember him, Mike? Yeah, I do. Yep. All right, so Joe used to run National Speedway. He was the Kmart spokesperson for Travis Carter and Daryl Waltrip. And Joe had a busted leg at this time. And he was around on crutches and stuff. And he's the one that was approaching me about it. And I said, well, best I can do is I can take you out here to meet Mr. Dixon. He's out here in the van, and I'll get him to come around there. So there's so many people. I told Travis his story, and he liked to cry. when it, So I got to share it with you guys. So we go... <laughs> We go in the van. Now, Mr. Dixon's vans are Ford uh, full-size vans with black windows and fender skirts and chrome wheels. And we call them ghetto gliders. And uh, <laughs> it was, and that was a name that he came up with, it, you know. And so we went in there, and I, I brought him in there to Mr. Dixon, and he was sitting up in the front. And Mr. Dixon said... Uh, well, we, we don't mind having Daryl uh, go in the, in the car and um, so on and so forth. And well, Joe was giving him the correct politically spiel like a politician would. Well, I need to talk to Daryl and I need to talk to Travis and I need to do this and do that. Mr. Dixon said, uh, sir, uh, 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 what, what was your name, sir? He said, uh, I, I'm Joe Carver. And what the hell you got to do with this? Well, I'm the kind of general manager. He said, are you the son of a bitch that can write me a damn check? Because if you can't write me a check, get the hell out of my damn van. <laughs> and go find me somebody that can write a check. <laughs> so Joe limps back out of there. I ain't never been so insulted in all my life. <laughs> and I went and got Travis. And Travis come back. And they cut a deal. Put uh, Daryl in the car. Put a Robert Yates motor in it. And... Uh, and it started raining about halfway through the race. And uh, and Daryl said, I've about had enough of this stuff. Why don't you come get in the car and drive it? And uh, so Travis was like, I'm not going to be responsible. Mr. Dixon said, I don't know. I got the check. Chet Junior, if you want to go drive, drive. Just don't wreck my damn car. You know, <laughs> I, said, I said, all right. So I buckled in my suit and all that stuff. Well, I never knew how to race a cup at race speed. All I ever done is I'd been to seven or eight races just trying to qualify in on speed. So qualifying mode's all I had. Larry Carter's a crew chief. Larry's up on top of the box and we're doing this stuff. So the, the green flag comes out. I'm in the back. The racetrack's cooled down. It's been wet and raining. Well, the first laps I drive, I think I'm still qualifying. I bury this thing down in the corner. Well, Daryl had ran maybe a 31-1 was his fastest lap of the race. It was in the sun. It was in the hot. And I think my first lap was like a 30 flat, 29-90 or something. Other. I'm like third fastest up on the board passing people. <laughs> and, and but I burnt the tires off quick and then went to push them. <laughs> and, uh, um, and so what should have been a very positive for me turned into a negative because Larry Carter and him turned around and said, hot oh, damn, Daryl, he's two seconds faster and you ran all day. What the hell? So Daryl got pissed and walked to his hauler and you know, he was mad at me. <laughs> I didn't know I was making him mad. I was just driving. You just want to be a uh, race car driver, right? That, that was all. And uh, then after it started getting loose on me, I come back in and tightened it up, learned I needed to back the corners up a little more, you know? <laughs> and we, we finished the race and I didn't tear it up. Uh, not that weekend, but... <laughs> We, we didn't even get settled good and uh, got home. Everything's looking decent. Mr. Dixon's like, uh, let's go to Dover. I said, Dover? I said, I ain't never been to Dover. Well, uh, 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 figure it out, Junior. Load your shit up. Let's go. So, <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I, I called up a few guys and got an idea on a setup. I went to Dover and uh, was trying to get acclimated to the track. When it comes time to qualify, I didn't realize that Dover, you can't qualify like normal and get in the gas really early back in the corner. Because if you do and you get in the gas really early, it either pushes on its way off or it gets loose. Well, mine was tight. So I turned it real hard trying not to push against the wall. And I let off of it a little bit before I hit the wall and it snapped loose. So I cleaned out the whole front straightaway. It used to be grass between the infill wall and the start finish line. Well, I dug all that grass up from the back end. I slid it all the way down the wall, tore the car all up. <laughs> and 
And needless to say, that did not go so well. I was a hero one week and a zero the next. <laughs> that damn race in a bike like Dixon, that all the time. Mr. Dixon sounds like Fred Sanford. Did <laughs> yeah. you notice that? You know, hey. and after he tore the car up, he would go, Carl, you big dummy. Hey, Carl, Jeff's got to read his thing, but you take us to break to Jeff. Fee Dixon style. Uh, uh, y'all hang on here. Jeff's going to take you out for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Dixon. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speedsport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speedsport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Great stories with Carl Long. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> oh, man, we could talk for another four hours, but uh, we got to sum it up here in about 15 minutes. So, uh, <laughs> Carl, take us from Dover, fast forward, and uh, kind of like expedite through the career the last 15 years or how long it's been since Dover. Well, a after Dover. A, a minute a year. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, after Dover, um, uh, Travis Carter helped me put the car back together, put a body on it for me. Um, and so we, we went to several other races and then Norman degree, who's had his own shop is now working at Stuart Haas. He built us a new Dodge and we had Dodge wanting Mr. Dixon to get involved in trucks. Well, we started making cup races. Um, well now he wants to go truck and I'm wanting to do cup. And, uh, so along come, me and Kyle Petty making a conversation. He had ran the 45 car at Daytona and was parked beside of me when he swapped numbers. And that's when I got to know Kyle, just talking to him in the garage. And he ran behind me in practice and told me my car looked stable and his wasn't. And, uh, and I asked him, what could I do, you know, to, to help out, maybe do some R and D work. And Kyle was very gracious and, uh, and had them do some R and D engines for me as they were planning on having a single engine, the following year instead of a, a qualifying motor and change the engine. So uh, the first race that we actually got the car and bit back together was uh, Charlotte again, but it was a fall race at Charlotte. And I think there was 55 cars there. And I qualified 29th or 30th. And John Andretti was a little bit behind me and Kyle and Buckshot didn't make the race. So there again, which should have been something that was very positive became negative because the guys at the shop just wore Kyle out because I made the race and he didn't. So now, now it's, it you just, know, Kyle's going to join us next week on this show. Is that something I should bring up to him or should I just leave that out of the story? No, no, it's fine. I mean, Kyle was, he is super good and always has tried to help me. But I mean, what had happened is, is they, they were shutting down the Dodge engine program in Kyle's shop and moving it on to another place with Mike Eggie. So everybody in there was pissed because I used the engine that was a, a single race motor instead of a qualifying motor. And, but all I had to focus on was Charlotte and qualifying. They was focusing on the whole season. And, uh, and we went, we were able to go there and test. And oh, like I said, what you would think would be good, turn out to be bad, but we had two more races and Kyle let me use engines for that at Rockingham. Now he wore me out at Rockingham. He was badass down there. I, I still drove in the corners too deep and pushed up, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I knew that some of the things uh, that they had, Petty had some cars that was for sale that, that I bought myself just in case Mr. Dixon, uh, didn't want to race or didn't have something. I'd go race my own. Cause I, you know, always had a car too. And that's kind of what started me into being a car owner. Um, as I bought cars because I didn't have enough money to drive for somebody else or something like that. I just had my own car and I just needed to find tire money to get to the racetrack. I knew if I made the race, I had enough money to buy the tires in and pay the bills. But if I didn't make the race, I didn't want to come home owing anybody. I wanted to make sure that at least I broke even. And, uh, and it just progressed on, uh, you know, that's why I had that car that was my own at Charlotte that, uh, got the fine that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, and Jim Robbins at Romeo guest was still helping me during that period. Um, and, 
and like I said, Jim was basically the guy that really put me on the right track to understand a lot of things. And, uh, when I created MBM racing, there was three of us that each one had kind of a car. I had a tractor. Another guy had a trailer, Derek White up in Canada. Uh, he owned a trailer and I had a tractor and, and John Jackson down in Florida had a car. And so we put all of these together under one roof. And, uh, and at that point we was with a guy named James Whitener. I was trying to incorporate it with him, but as you would know, James didn't need no help. Didn't want nobody else's help. Didn't want to answer to anybody but himself. Um, and you know, and that's fine. If you've got the money enough to do that, you don't need to have partners. So, um, that's what he done. And, and we started and helped create it. And then they were talking about some drivers we needed at, uh, at Daytona and who was all that. And I volunteered to find out this guy that I knew named Mike Wallace that I knew that he always ran good at Daytona and he's probably the one we needed to have in the car. Now, is that the news guy that hosted 60 minutes or the driver? Yeah, the same <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I had, you know, Mike and I had met each other at the racetrack, but I just thought he would be the perfect person to put in that car. He could help bring sponsorship, you know, and because he talked to people, right? They always have different names and stuff and did things. And, um, and, and I think we had a pretty good deal, but I just wound up being separate on my own as, as JGL and Whitener, you know, just moved on to their, their own stuff. He just, you could tell in six months if it was going to work and we knew it won't. So, uh, I've just been slow in progression of what we've got. And, and right now I'm sitting over here with probably 25 Xfinity cars, 14 cup cars ain't worth a damn for nothing, but uh, <laughs> uh, a bunch of other cars I should have thrown away. And then a couple of new cup cars that we built at the first of the year with some of my partners out of Tennessee, helping finance and that uh, Rocky Smith at Smith built homes. Carl, I need to, I want to ask you a couple things before we get to the end that not so much is about your career, but you're one of the guys that would know a little bit to tell the world about because everybody asks about it. Number one, thank you for calling me that day and asked me to drive that car, Daytona, for you and Mr. Whitener. We went down and ran well, and uh, everything was great there. But can you give a brief description of what the NASCAR Cup charter means? It seems like we, we try to find out, and everybody just kind of shuts up about it. You can't get... I mean, well, the, is that something you can talk about or you can't? Yeah, because the uh, the part that I have, I'm not a part of the the charter membership, the RCA group, or or any of that. And the reason that I know anything about it is because we tried to buy the 13 charter, and they disclosed all of the charter stuff for us before they sold to Michael Jordan. So, what I know is based on that point in time, and. And I'd be more than glad to ask any questions that you think that need to be there. The biggest thing is this year they get paid about $70,000 more than I would get paid per race. So so let me start it quickly. Why is there hard? There's like only th there's 36 charters every week. And you very rarely see fields other than maybe Daytona or Talladega bigger than 36 cars. Why, you know, back in the day you see 37, you know, up to 40 uh, some people would refer to them as field fillers, you know, to, because it paid pretty good money. Has that all changed now, or is that still in existence? Yeah, it, it changed pretty drastically two years ago. Okay. What yeah. happened What happened two years ago is, you know, they stopped publishing the, the winnings, and then they give you a percentage of breakdown. So if uh, Daytona is a $16 million race, uh, 38th position pays you uh, 1%. So you get paid $160,000 if you finish 38th, you know, but Martinsville is a $1.6 million race. So 38th there is only $16,000 instead of, uh, 160. And a couple of years ago when he had a non-chartered point fund, all of the non-chartered cars got 19,500 for showing up for the race plus their percentage. So I can go to Martinsville I get 19.5 plus whatever my percentage was. And if I finish 38, that's 16,000. So you, you come out with about 38 to $40,000 in winnings and you have to spend pretty close to $10,000 just to enter the car, uh, between the tires and the entry fee of what you're mandated to buy. Um, they cut the 19.5 out two years ago and they cut the bonus money out at the end of the year because 
the last four positions, the charter teams could not get any of that money. That was for the non-chartered cars. I requested to leave the 19.5 as is and don't worry about the non-chartered point fund. Because sometimes I think what upset them is Brendan Gaughan would come out and run four races or finish in the top five each race and get a bunch of points and uh, and go home third in the points with a $150,000 or $60,000 bonus. And Bob Jenkins, who's got front row, runs all year, finishes 25th, 26th in the points, and gets zero. So that was probably something that needed to have been changed, but they didn't need to take the 19.5 away from the guys that's showing up. So right now, I can go Xfinity racing and bring home a bigger check than I can cup racing. Really? Okay. Yes. That's, so there's just no guaranteed money or no good paying money from 30, 37th on back now? Is well, if you finish... If you finish well, let's just say that uh, a couple of years ago, uh, to just trying to think of the right number, if you finish 20th in a position somewhere out there, the, the percentages goes up higher. And because you're taken from a $2 million purse, basically, then maybe you get $45,000, $50,000 finishing 20th versus. 17,000 or so finishing last. Um, so that the steps are greater, but you got to finish that. And for me to go out there and think I'm going to have a 20th place finish with the competition level is in cup, you know, I might as well go pee in the wind. It's going yeah. more luck that way. <laughs> yeah. It, okay. Well, I, you know, there's just a big topic out there amongst race fans, not so much amongst teams because a lot of people know what's going on. I haven't been around the sport enough or heard enough from. You know, the, quote, RTA group, is it RTA, Race Technical Alliance, owner or something yeah. like that. There's a group now yeah. that they that they have. And uh, so I didn't know. And people have asked me, and I said, I I know someone that we're going to interview here shortly, going to be on the show. We'll, we'll try to get an answer. So it all amounts to money, point funds. So what's uh, Carl Long and his organization got going for the rest of the year? What do you, what do you guys got happening? Well, we are – uh, currently just putting together race to race situations, trying to get where we need to be. Um, I'm struggling a little bit right now to try to put some stuff together for, uh, uh JJ Yaley's race this weekend. Uh, hey, hey hold, hold on up. just a second. I want to ask you that because I've got a note on it. A few weeks back, a month ago, maybe it's two months ago. I said, everything's a couple weeks to me. Your team ran really, really well one race, and they were talking about some Penske supporter or a Penske car you bought. What what was that about? Well, you have to use leverage every once in a while, and there's nothing in the world that I can do for Roger Penske and Penske Racing to help them. But after Daytona, there was. We didn't make the race at Daytona with our cup car. They didn't have enough cars to have a backup car when they went to the West Coast. So... We let them use our car, and then I turned their arms over there with uh, Travis Geisler and some of the rest and said, I'm helping you guys. Now, you guys help me. Sell me a damn Xfinity car for a mile and a half that'll work good. And and they did. They told me the one that come from Texas and said, that's it. All the rest of them in here, and they showed them. They had made two-seater cars out of them that Roger's going to carry to Indianapolis Speedway. They got two seats in them. The door bars has been changed. They flipped down. I just got this one before it got into that line of stuff. And we went to Texas and we have a B plan motor in it. It's not the A plan stuff. Uh, one that, that we had changed over ourselves from a uh, cup motor last year to an Xfinity motor this year. And JJ was badass fast, but just couldn't get started on the restarts and a little bit lagging there. But the biggest thing was that our pit crew couldn't keep up with that level of group on pit road mm -hmm. so we would come in he would come in running in the top 10 and go back out in 20th and then have to pass his way back up and uh and then got in a wreck and tore the front clip off of it rear clip off of it uh it just tore it destroyed the car destroyed me <laughs> i was just sitting there crying about it i didn't realize and, uh, that happened i just remember you running well and i was trying uh, i was proud of you i was happy to see your team run that well and it proved you get some good equipment but uh so, as we're as we're narrowing down here, you're, you're trying to get Yaley squared away for this weekend. You're primarily focused on Xfinity Series. You do have a, t a couple of the new Cup cars, though, in your organization, correct? 
Correct. And it just basically, it takes about at least a hundred thousand dollars for me to go to the racetrack with that cup car, knowing that I got to run it. And if I don't hit nothing, then maybe it don't take that much, but it, the, the parts and the availability of them just cost so much that you well, got to be covered. Yeah, That's well, crazy. there's a guy sitting to the right of me. He could probably pull that out of his front pocket <laughs> and <laughs> call, call it the Ketmobile. How much you got, Mike? <laughs> do, do the Steve Dixon voice on that. <laughs> well, I tell uh, you, uh, what, Mike. Mike, <laughs> you, you shake that guy over there, and uh, uh, we'll put you in this car at Daytona. You ready to go back, right? Put that son of a bitch on the pole, I'll buy you a steak dinner. <laughs> <laughs> We're starting to talk now. <laughs> yeah. Well, Carl, tell us what we need to do to wrap this up because we, will, again, we could talk forever, and I'd love to have you come back on, and we'll pick back up. But uh, tell us what we need to know about you for the remainder of the year. Well, we're we're primary the the thirteen and sixty six in Xfinity. Uh, Timmy Hill and JJ Yaley are our two drivers this weekend, and and for the most of them, and the thirteen is the car that that I put other drivers in that may have sponsorship. Uh, and, and JJ is our primary car. And we're trying to get our cup car back on the track. It's just a matter of finances and, uh, and hopefully get something in line to sign up for next year. We've got a, a really nice sponsor that we've about to sign up for Charlotte. I've just got to get the right driver in it uh, to make sure that we're in the race. So uh, hopefully I can announce that sometime soon if we can pull it off. All right. I want you to take a moment. We're gonna let Jeff's gonna let us do this. You take two minutes and tell everybody how to get a hold of you. If somebody's listening and wants to help Carl along, how do they reach out to you? Uh, it's two ways. It's uh, and the easiest is just my Facebook uh, page. It's Carl Long Motorsports or MBM Motorsports. MBM Motorsports. I have three or four people to help me keep it up. But Carl Long Motorsports is me and my wife Dee Dee's the only one with access on it. Okay. So, well, and, you, uh, you tell Dee because of this, because uh, the world's listening right now. You might get some guy out of Scandinavia call you, but he's for real because he's been listening to you. <laughs> Scandinavia. Yeah. I don't think they have yeah. the internet in Scandinavia. I don't know. Okay, All Switzerland? Right. Swiss bank accounts? <laughs> I'm trying to yeah, help. absolutely. Well, Carl, I want to thank yeah. you very much for taking the time and sharing your, some of your stories and as we've all learned, we can talk forever, but uh, we can't today, and uh, Jeff's going to take us away. From pizza to lawn and garden to NASCAR, we should change the name of the show. We've been talking to Carl Long. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speedsport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.